So this uh, picture, it's on page 66 in Great Jewish Photographs, uh, was a little bit of a uh, controversial choice to put into the book. Uh, if I had any uh, criticism, it was from this particular picture, and I sort of knew that that, made ha- that, that might happen, but I took my chances anyway. Um, this is a uh, photo of Rabbi Avram Grudzinski. Rabbi Avram Grudzinski, who lived from 1883 to 1944, was the Mashkiach Ruchani in Slabatka Yeshiva in Europe, one of the primary students of the Altar from Slabatka, Rabbi Nassim Finkel. And it was under him that Rabbi Avram grew in Torah and character refinement. So one example is how you know, how much he worked on himself to develop his personality, his Musa personality. He spent two years, two whole years, perfecting the midah of greeting everyone with a warm and cheerful countenance. The Mishnah in Abbas in Parak Aleph, Mishnah Tesvav, says, Havi mekabalas kala adam besever panam yafes. Person should always greet everybody with a saver panam yafas, with a warm and cheerful countenance. You're supposed to look always happy and be happy to see people. And he worked on this. This isn't something that comes natural to people. A lot of people, some people might have it. A lot of people wish they had it. So if you don't naturally have it, it takes time and a lot of focus to always work on being happy to see people. And he made this midah so ingrained in his behavior that eyewitnesses describe how even in the most horrific times in the Kavna ghetto during the Holocaust, his pleasant facial expression continually concealed his internal agony. So as much, as, as much pain as he was in in the Kavna ghetto during the war, uh, he always expressed, he always showed himself with a pleasant demeanor, with a pleasant uh, picture of, of how he was doing. This dis- Now, this disturbing photograph of Avram that I bring in the book was taken after he was forced to shave his beard due to Nazi persecution. His his distinguished appearance and his serene composure, despite the dire predicament he was facing, demonstrates his absolute discipline. So I'm going to show you the picture in a minute. It was a little controversial because he was shaven. He he has a mustache, but he was clean-shaven, and that's because... Um, he was forced to shave. That's what the Nazis did to him. So people felt that maybe, you know, I shouldn't put it in the book. It wasn't... So I did put the normal picture of him before the... Before he was... You know, he was a, had a beautiful hadrosponum. He was famous for being very, you know, regal and, and with a beautiful face. After he shaved, he also looked, you know, very good. But it was... Uh, people said that maybe I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have... It wasn't to put that in the book. It, well, I wasn't the first. I happened to have found it on, on a Holocaust uh, website. Um, but then I saw that it was published in other people's books. Um, uh, one, a grandson of his put out a book. And it was, so I wasn't the first one to do this, so I don't feel that bad about it, I think. And the reason why I did decide to do it, even though I did have some misgivings about it, was because you do see that he looked serene, even though it was, you know, in a very, very dire circumstance. He didn't know, I guess, you know, how he was going to die. He did die 
Al um, Kiddush Hashem, but he um, he uh, uh, he looked like he was calm and he was very uh, still in control of everything, and it shows his discipline. This said, he worked on his uh, midas with great uh, focus, intensity, and musar. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky and Rabbi Grzynski were married to sisters, and so they were brothers-in-law. And Rabbi Yaakov, who admired Rabbi Abraham greatly, once said that when the Nazis in Machshemai killed my brother-in-law, the Musser movement died with him. And so this is the picture. Look at the one that he looked at, how he looked before uh, the war and, and then at, during the war. This picture is on page 58 in the book, and it's called On the Way to a Bris. Um, you know, Chaim Kanievsky, who is known as the Sarah Taira, the master of Taira, and he was no, there aren't many people in history, I think, that were referred to as that, but he was literally a master of Taira. He knew Kalha Taira Kula. You know, some people talk about being a Talmud Chacham and knowing things, and that may or may not be true. Reb Chaim literally knew everything. Is that a, like a once-in-a-generational thing? Like, if someone was just once in a while, somebody comes along who is so definitively above, as a child above everybody else, that he kind of gets the Sarah Torah title. Right. I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know anyone that ever got the title. I don't know who, I don't know if the Vilna Gain got that title, Vishaita. I don't know, maybe he did, but there is, I mean, he definitely deserved it, but, you know, but I don't know if he, they called, I don't know who gave him that title either, the Sarah Torah. I don't know how that was bestowed on him, but that... Somebody did, and it stuck. Maybe an, I'm sure an Adam Gadol called him that, but whoever did it, it stuck, and like that's how he was generally referred to. If anyone says the Saratari, they know right away it's Rebbe Kanievsky. Uh, you know, he made a siyum on Kolatar Kula every Arab Pesach. You know, some people are happy if they make a siyum on what, whatever Dafyami just finished. Right, Nazir is going to be uh, you know a lot of people. I'm sure will be making siyum on say on Misachas Nazir. Um, if you make a siyum on uh, on Mesachas Tainis or Harius, you're happy also. But to make a siyum on Kolatera Kula every single year, or even once in a lifetime, but certainly every single year, is a big accomplishment. Um, and it, you know what does Kolatera Kula mean? It means Bavli and Yerushalmi and Teisefta and Sifra and Sifri and Mechilta and um, you know every all Mishnayis and all. Uh, Chumash uh, and Nach and Shulchan Aruch, every it's I mean it's unbelievable. You know it's not even normal to talk about. But he made the siyum an era of Pesach, and that uh, that every single year it was known like like clockwork. You would make a siyum. Um, and he called all of these uh, many many different limudim that he had to do every single day a certain amount of. Bavli of Yerushalmi, seven blah Bavli, and how many blah Yerushalmi, and uh, you know, all these things were broken down into pieces that he had to learn every single day, and he called those his chayvus. These were his his obligations or his debts. Like he didn't go to sleep at night, generally speaking, until all of his debts were paid off. Uh, I think uh, they say a story about when he married off one of his children. And the mechutan, one of the mechutanim invited him to the Sheva Brachas that there is. Mechutan invited him to the Sheva Brachas that he made. He said, so I can't come to the, to the, the Sheva Brachas because I have to pay off my chayvis. 
you know, so the Mechotin got nervous that, you know, he was, a, he was deep in debt, he had to pay off his chayvus from the, the wedding, maybe, or whatever, and, like, he started getting nervous. He said, don't get nervous. He said, I didn't, because of the chasna, I wasn't able to learn everything that I was, all my daily obligations of learning, my chayvus, my debts, so I have to make them up during the week of Shavarachas. They say that during the leap year, you know, whenever there was a leap year and there was an extra month of Adar, that's when he wrote his Svarim. If you're wondering, like, when was he able to find the time, if he was so busy, besides for his learning, he had every day, he had Kabbalah's call, he invite, you know, he had people come through his apartment, come through his house and ask him Eitzes and Adracha and, and for Brachas. And then he had, um, he used to, in, you know, in his, when he was much stronger, for many, many decades, I think, he would answer questions that people sent by mail. So he would get, like, a stack of mail every day from Yeshua Bachrim or Tamil around the globe, you know, asking him different shilas. And he took, to, it takes time, you know, you have to get a piece of paper and write it, return it, get the address, and uh, put that on the envelope. It took time, it took money, just the stamps alone, I'm sure, you know, were quite costly. But he felt that this is the way that he was... Um, tasked to be Marbet, Marbet's Tyra. He didn't have a yeshiva, he wasn't a yeshiva, he never, his father didn't want him to get a position in learning, he wanted him to just sit and learn. So, but in terms of how he would um, spread Tyra, besides for his farm, he felt that this was the way that he was spreading Tyra. Did his have a position, or it was also? Also, no. No, he did in Europe, we learned about that last week, I think. He had a in Navardic, he was he was a, one of the Rosh Hashivas in one of the branches of Navardic, I think in Pinsk. But when he came to Eretz Yisrael, he never had a position. He just he sold his farm. He published his classic Kilos Yaakov Masechta Masechta, and he wouldn't sell in any store. Like he would he would sell it, or his daughter would sell it for him, and uh, that was his basic parnasa. Um, and so. Um, but that, but he didn't have an official position. He didn't want his son to have a position. So this is how he was married. I, I used to send him uh, Shilas a couple of times. I wish I had sent him more. But uh, just different things. Whenever I was working on a certain topic for a safer, whatever I was doing, I would send him questions. And very often, like, I get an envelope back in the mail. And I was like, it's an empty envelope. But if you look carefully, he used to didn't send the whole letter on a letterhead. He would, like, maybe like rip off a little piece of the top of my paper and just write like a three-word answer, a five-word answer. Sometimes I wrote a few questions, so you'd have like, Cain, Efsher, you know, Lomas and that was it. People used to really write him every, you know, very often, and sometimes you have Svarim, there's a Sefer in the base Medrash called Ishe um, Yisrael, and it's about the laws of tefillah. And in the back, it has many questions that he had about davening that he asked Reb Chaim. And you see, like, Mamash Efsher, Kain, you know, like, and he, it's clear that it was, it was maybe over years that he was asking him questions, but he, he built up a big arsenal of, of Jews. And then his son, I, I never knew that they actually made copies of these answers. I thought it was just like going out, but like, turns out that they had photocopies somehow of all of his chubas, I guess, together with the Shaila. And then uh, the son started putting out a whole bunch of svarim just on the, uh, the, the question, and then chubas. And many times he'd answer the same question with different 
versions, different answers. It wasn't always just answering the same thing. So it would be, you know, the question on top and then answer one, Nusach one is this answer, Nusach two is the other answer. And then on the bottom, there's footnotes saying like the Chasm Seifer says this also and, you know, the Abar Benel says that and the Meshach Chachma says that. He didn't know necessarily every Akron or Arishan, but... Um, but that is uh, that was one of the ways that he uh, he spread his tyra. So, so what, what we did without that, though, like, who do we go? Who do we go to? It's a very big problem. It's a big, big problem. It's a big problem. Uh, you know, there's still Gedalia Yisrael Baruch Hashem. You know, no, I don't know. No. He's like the last from the from the. It seems from an ancient order. Yeah. Yeah, it's very like I, you know, I'm planning on taking Yitzim Mitzvah Hashem, my son, to Eretz Yisrael, you know, for his Hanachas Tefillin. And when when my oldest son Shlomo got a Mitzvah maybe eight years ago, when he had his Hanachas Tefillin, I took him to Eretz Yisrael. I went to Rav Steinemann. I went to I took him to Rav Chaim, and it was great. You know, we had beautiful pictures. We put them up in the bar by the bar mitzvah. It was in yeshiva, so um, on Shabbos. We made the affair, the kiddush, on the fourth floor. It was in the summer. It was very hot. You know what it's like to get up to the fourth floor, even in the winter. It's hard, and there were older people. And I wanted to like break it up a little bit. So what I did, the staircase. So what I did was I blew up the pictures of him with Reb Chaim, him with Reb Steinemann, and whatever, and uh, I made it like a poster size, and then. I would, under it, I would write, like, you know, just two more flights, or just one more, so it got people at least motivated, it was like a, like a carrot to get people up a little bit higher until they got to the top level. I need that every day to get to <laughs> I should have kept it up there. Um, but, yeah, so, so I was saying just to, I don't even know who to take, you know, if I want to go with Yitzhi to Gedailam, again, there are Gedailam, I can name them, but, like, I'm not excited, you know, I'm not, like, I have to go, you know, like, I could find Gedalim, but I don't, there's no one that I'm, like, drawn to go, necessarily. Even that we don't really, that we know of, there, there, I, I would say, I should say, the Dome I know of, and I don't know that many, but it's the Dome I know because, like, they're a Rosh Hashiva, or they're official post Like, right. I know of Rosh Hashiva, because he's, like, the most prestigious right. Bagheer in, in the mirror. Right. Like, I, don't, yeah. I don't know of any, you know, just, like, the Vilna Gomez was just a quiet Kamatha. Right, right. They don't, I don't know if they exist anymore. I don't know. Um, again, I could, you know, Rabbi Shareli is a good example. Uh, you know, Rabbi Gershon Edelstein from Panovich is like the official. He's the one that took over, I guess, after Abchayim, if that's possible. Um, you know, Beryl Pervarsky is Rashiva and Panovich. Uh, you know, there, there are Gedailim. There's uh, Hasidish Gedailim, there's Rebbes, and then there's uh, Sfardish Gedailim, David Abu Chatzera, and. Uh, Vad Yosef has sons that are very chash. You know, there's people to go. There's no Israel is not Yisrael is not orphan, Baruch Hashem. It never will be. But to go to Reb Chaim was something you know unique. Reb Steinemann, Reb Shach. You know, there's different Stipler, the Chazanish. Like they were in a league of their own. And it's not. Yeah, I always said. I always say if I was entrepreneurial. I would send ski. I would sell outside of Reb Chaim's house when he was alive ski masks. You know, like a mask that just you just see the eyes and everything else is covered. Why? Because they say that Reb Chaim knew the Chachmas Aparzav. He could look at your forehead and he could tell you all your averus. It's frightening. So I would want a ski mask like just to cover my forehead. So you couldn't. I, I mean, you could probably look. I guess if you could. 
Talmud, by looking at my forehead, you could probably see through a, he has special powers to see through the mask also, I guess, but, but there's a story that's told about a person that he was having a lot of tsaris in his life. So he went to Abchaim for an Eitzah, for a bracha. So Abchaim says, do you eat kosher? Like, you know, or you makbed on kosher? He says, yeah, of course. He's like a Haredi guy, he was like a regular. So he says, I don't know, I see a cow on your forehead. It means that you're eating like something treif. Something about, you know, there's something treif about that you're eating. I don't know, I'm not eating treif. I buy kosher. Anyway, it turns out that he was on a certain medication that had lard on it or something. It had some, or, or had gelatin or some, some treif additive in the thing. And he looked into it and he stopped taking it and then everything turned around. But you see from the story, you know, if it's true or not, I don't know, but they don't tell stories like that about me and you. Um, you know, so it, it, he's an amazing, you know, he's a, he was from a different era. He was, a, I think if he would live two, three hundred years ago, he would have been a Gadladar. Like, his Torah is beautiful. He wrote, he wrote a Mishnah Burah on Zerayim. Wow. He didn't call it Mishnah Burah, he called it uh, Derech, uh, Derech, what's it called? Derech Amuna. It's like a five, six volume set, thick set of Mishnah, like a halacha on Zerayim. So if you want to learn about about uh, about trumas, about klayim, about uh, demai, whatever it is that you're learning, you know, it's all there, imperfect, you know, with Mishabur, the Bir Halacha, with Siyunim, Mamash, and fine print. He brings down all the chazanishas, he brings, you know, which was his uncle. His uncle had, a, you know, a lot of Tyran's Zrayim. And so a farmer could pass an Halacha based on that. That's an amazing work. I think he considered that his greatest work. On the top of his matseva, it says Baal Derech Emuna, like he was the author of the Derech Emuna. This was that was his. Obviously, he was. That's what he was. Uh, he was proud of, but the most proud of. But his all of his farm are his time of and Chumash is unbelievable, beautiful Tyra. and uh, you know. Obviously, it's okay to do it, but right. what about like a little bit more off-brand? Like, I don't know, can I open like an Arachim Shulchan and just do whatever Boston said? Yeah, Arachim Shulchan is very reliable. Hmm. I mean, you what shouldn't, is, as long you're not like shopping for a terim, like, you know, yeah. some people do that, but if you're like, if you generally Paskin like the Mishnah or, or like some people, Dafka Paskin like the Arachim Shulchan, or like the Kitzvah Shulchan, or whatever it is that you're using, it's fine, just as long as you're not looking for a Kulos, that's okay. Right, because I was Not necessarily. Not necessarily. A lot of people. I think Ramesh Feinstein used to pass like Derech Hashulchan over. Not that he couldn't pass it himself, but like I think when it came to like a, a choice, he would pass like Derech Hashulchan, if I'm not mistaken, because I think he said that the Chavetz Chaim wasn't a rav. He was. He didn't have a shul. He didn't have a community. He didn't answer shy. He was. He was a. You know, a massive, massive beyond Tamuchacham, but and he wrote, but he didn't see that Shaila. He didn't, he didn't. These weren't Shaila that were brought to him. These were all like in a laboratory, sort of. Like it was like he he saw the Rishayim, the, the Gemaras, the Shulchan Aruch, Rishayim, Machreinim, and and he he passed in the way he saw it in the books. But the Archa Shulchan actually had cases coming to him. He had, he was a very busy Dayan, very busy Paisik, and most of the Shailas throughout Europe, I think, came to him. So he already had like more of a practical 
hand in, in, in halacha. So Ramesha like sort of felt that that was more optimal to go with his mahalach over over the Mishnah. That's, that's I, I think I heard that. Maybe I read in his biography, but that that's what I heard once. I don't know if anyone's going to update the Archa Shulchan anytime soon, but they've updated the Mishnah Bura, the, like Dirshu. Uh, you ever saw the Dirshu Mishnah Bura? What is the Dirshu, though? I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is. So Dirshu is basically, um, they, they take the Mishnah Bura, and they, but in, the Mishnah Bura is like every page, like, you know, you'll have two pages, a spread, and it'll be, be Mishnah Bura on both sides, right? It'll just continue. Dirshu, what they did was they left one side blank on every page. So it might be the right side on one page, then you turn it over, it'll be the left side on the other, on the other page to keep the initial placement of the, you know, of the daf. But on the blank page, facing the, that particular page of the Mishnah Bura, is a lot of, like, foot, not footnotes, but, like, it'll have, let's say, in the Mishnah Bura, it'll have, like, maybe a little aleph, and you'll look on the other side of the page, it'll be an aleph, and there it'll tell you that Rebel Yashiv, Paskins, in this case, you know, in a, in a case of, like, let's say, I don't know, he's talking about Seveya, maybe it'll say, in a case of photogray glasses, you know, you know, this, there's Machlekes, that's something that came out after the Mishnah was written, so they try to make it a little bit more current or bring in some... Oh, so updated. They, they, they updated it, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, we also Mishnah was only on... Um, Archaim, right. And just Archaim? Archaim, yeah. So Dirsh is actually working now on Yeridea. Wow. I saw an ad, and they're probably going to go through all volumes of Shulchan Aruch, but it's wow. very beautiful. It's like, yeah. like you're able to learn and also know like what to do. Probably, like the Mishnah is not going to tell you right. about you know a, a self-cleaning oven or right. about... Uh, you know, it's open and closing refrigerator on Shabbos, or you know, they, they, those things just didn't exist when 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 the Mishaburu was written, or their Chashulchan for that matter. A lot of you know, a warming drawer, a, you know, crockpot. These are all new inventions. So, how do you make a current? So that's what Dirshu did. They they made a uh, an updated Mishaburu sort of. Does the Mishaburu even talk about electricity? Does it? Um, that's a good question. I think it does, if I'm not mistaken. I, I guess it was like just, just a new thing, I guess. Yeah. yeah, it was very cutting. I'm trying to think. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's a good question. I don't know. But, so that, is, I mean, that's also what the Shemir Shabbos Kilchasa did, right? They also, he made very modern Shilas. But even that's outdated. Like a lot of the things, the Arts Girl has a book, The Shabbos Kitchen. I was just talking to somebody this morning about it. It was, uh, oh, Avi, you were there when I was talking to Avi about it? So, yeah, some, Hassan just bought this set, and I was set, there's an, the set of Rav Simcha Bunim Kohn's farm in English for Arts School on Shabbos, which is unbelievable. So there's something called the Shabbos Kitchen. One of the volumes is a Shab- the Shabbos Kitchen, which tells about Bayer in the kitchen, and, and you know, and Hatmana, and oh, Bishel, all these things, Chazara, all the, all the many questions that arise on Shabbos, but lately Art Scroll came out with an updated version of it. Um, so it has about warming drawers, and it has about, you know, the ovens with timers and refrigerators with, uh, you know, all these things. They updated a lot. It's very helpful to have an updated, but, you know, even like modern books need to be constantly updated. I had a, I had a, an old version of 
There's a famous English book on Hilchas Chalamay. It was like probably the first really well done English Sefer on Halacha in, in that style. Ribia? Yeah. So this was before Rabbi Ribia, and Rabbi Ribia did like a phenomenal job. It's a different yeah. style. But, you know, it's very, you know, they're both excellent, but they're very different. Like, Rabbi Simcha Bunim Kohen is like the English on top, and then it's footnotes, Hebrew footnotes on the bottom. So if you're a scholar, you could look up where he's coming from. But like, if you're not, you just want to see what the practical Allah is and a summary. Uh, that he's very good with that. So I bought, when it first came out, I bought on Chalamayid. It's a... Uh, the laws of Chalmite are very intricate. And, and then, if you look at it, it's like, it, today, I bought it maybe 25, 30 years ago. Today it's like so antiquated. It, does, it speaks about like, you know, if you have a, um, I don't know, tape recorder and, you know, the da, you know or you have like a, a D, you know, not even a DVD player, but like, you know, just like a very, you know, very like, dated stuff like it and you know and then and then they put out an, an, an updated thing on with computers you know because the personal computer didn't exist then and whether or not you're allowed to print on on chalamayed is that a maisa uman or not you know as much like as whether or not printing is that considered something that's a professional you know productivity that you're not allowed to do uh, just like you're not allowed to take your car to a mechanic because that's a maisa uman chalamayed you're not supposed to do that so also maybe not allowed to print or develop pictures or whatever. So he speaks about that. But even even that book, which was written a few years ago, is already outdated. Like, you know, there's no shouts about about the internet and about there's so many new things. Downloading, I guess, would be shy. different things that it, it just didn't exist 10 years ago or 15 years ago when this new. So you always need updates for all these uh, all these uh, halacha books. So what you're saying is 100% true. So this uh, picture... Uh, we only have a few moments to discuss it. But Reb Chaim was always asked to be a sandik at people's bris, because he was big tzaddik. You wanted tzaddik to be the sandik at your kid's bris. So, uh, and he would travel from his home in Bnei Brak to many locations within Eretz Yisrael, even to the most remote places, in order to accommodate the Balai Simcha. He wanted to do it, and they wanted him to do it, so he would, he would travel. And the Rebetzin did not accompany Reb Chaim to most simchas unless he was serving as a sandik in Yerushalayim, so she can go to her parents for a visit. Who are her parents? Rebbe Yashiv. Rebbe Yashiv and his, and Chaim was a son-in-law of Rebbe Yashiv. Not too bad, right? So, this rare photo was taken when the Kanievskis were on their way to Yerushalayim, where Rebbe Chaim was to serve as a sandik. The vehicle in which they were traveling had a flat tire. And as they waited at the side of the road for it to be repaired, Rebbe Chaim is seen learning, and the Rebbe is davening.